just a, a portion of two verses we're going to focus on today, but I'll, I'll read a little bit in, in advance from verse 16. So Colossians 3, uh, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Those two verses there, verses 18 and 19, is what we're going to focus on today. So we're going to be speaking mainly uh, about marriage. Now, as we've seen uh, in this portion of Scripture in Colossians 3, Paul has been writing uh, to that church and has arrived at this part where he's been telling them about how they are to live Christ-like lives. And therefore, that affects how they relate with one another. So he's already been saying about putting on uh, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. Paul is wanting that within this group, this uh, group of believers in Colossae, their relationship to God also reflects the fact they're relating well with one another. So there's peace, there's compassion, there's forgiveness and kindness. They're bearing with one another. There's peace and they're also getting stuck into the word of God. They're singing together. And that whatever they're doing, in word or deed, everything is done in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so we arrive then at a part where he's getting slightly more specific now, looking at specific types of relationship. He's, he's given some broad brushstrokes, as it were, about relationships in general within the church. Now he's starting to, to home in on wives and husbands. He'll go on to talk to uh, children and fathers, and then slaves and masters. So today we're going to be focusing on marriage, and so a lot of the application will be directed towards husbands and wives, as you might imagine. But I'd just like to say, please don't tune out uh, if you are not married. Uh, Verse 17 says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we're looking at marriage, if you are married, do it well in the name of the Lord Jesus, seeking to honour and glorify him, seeking to serve God in our marriages. But if you're single, that verse 17 applies also. Whatever you do in singleness, let it be that it's in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So that's the case for anyone here who is not married. And uh, also, it's probably the case that before marriage, it's probably the best time to be preparing for it. Maybe before... um, uh, romance looms very large in one's life. It's a good, a good time to look at the Bible and to see, okay, what does the Bible say about marriage? How should, I, should God desire me to, to uh, be joined to someone in marriage? Uh, what am I going to be building with? What, what sort of marriage am I going to be aiming for? So this is a good time uh, to look into it if you are single. And also, in the meantime, in terms of supporting other people who are uh, preparing for marriage themselves or have been married for some time, you're going to know people who are married, and so it's pretty good to know how to support them, to know, okay, what, what are they in? What does it involve for them? So we're going to spend some time looking at what Paul says to wives, and then we're going to look at some, what he says to husbands. So first of all, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. I would hazard a guess that the word that jumps out most in that verse is the word submit. I'd also hazard a guess 
that it might not be in anyone's top ten favourite lists of words. I could be wrong, uh, but I, I kind of hazard that as a guess. So the word there is submit, or uh, sometimes it's translated be subject to. What is that talking about? For us to really get hold of what Paul is writing here to wives, we need to understand what that word is getting at. We're going to look at three possibilities. It's almost like, imagine you've got a jigsaw puzzle and you're trying to find a, a particular piece that fits in this little gap that you've got. And so you find a few pieces that could fit, but as you draw them closer, you realise, no, that one's not quite right. Well, that one doesn't quite fit either. Ah, oh, that one, it's in properly. It gives the whole picture. We could try and get one piece and out of frustration, try and force it to fit in the puzzle. But that won't give the full uh, picture that God has got in mind. So we're going to look at three, uh, three possibilities. Sometimes it's helpful to look at what does the Bible say, what does it not mean, as well as what does it mean. Some have suggested, firstly, that the word submit here really means something on the lines of wives behave in accordance with the prevailing social order. Or in other words, blend in to society. See what's going on in society and basically uh, do the same. People claim that because they say that Paul wasn't really giving a specific Christian instruction but was merely rather repeating what a, a secular expectation of that time. So he kind of tacks on to the end uh, uh, as is fitting in the Lord. But really he's just repeating what other philosophers of that age uh, were saying and saying, therefore, just, just blend in, just fit in. Just do, do the done thing. Go along with what's normal. It's almost like being like a, a chameleon. A chameleon will uh, move to a certain branch or a certain environment. It will look around to see uh, what's the basic colour scheme here. And I'll just try and blend in with that. And that's what a chameleon does very well. Now sometimes in church life, we can do this inadvertently. We can, we can get into a church, we can start meeting with believers, and we can start to detect what is the done thing here? What is the kind of party line? What's the, what's the culture amongst this group of Christians? And then without coming to a strong sense of conviction ourselves on a certain issue, we'll think, well, I can see what the majority of people are doing here. Uh, I'll, I'll try and fit in with that without actually ever really investigating the matter ourselves. So does it mean blend in. Wives blend into the culture. Wives look at what's happening around in the world and kind of copy what you see. I suggest that doesn't really wash with what the Bible says. Jesus uh, uses an illustration when he's talking to his disciples in Matthew 5. Well, he uses two illustrations in fact. One is of salt and the other is of light. So he's speaking to his disciples and he says in Matthew 5, verse 13, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. goes on to say, You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is inviting his followers 
to stand out, to be salty, to be distinctive, to be light. Not to be a light that is hidden under a basket, but to, to let that light shine. Paul picks up that theme when he's writing to another church, the, the Philippians. He writes there in Philippians chapter 2, and we'll read from verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labour in vain. So talking there about us as followers of Jesus, um, shining as lights in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Now we live now in a day where if we observe standards uh, around us, we can say, yeah, it's, it's crooked and twisted. So if you move into an area, for example, where every couple or every family, um, the normal way of relating is to shout at each other, is to be violent to each other, uh, is to be disrespectful to each other, I suggest don't blend in. Don't blend in with what, this, what was going on. You know, if you move from place to place, oh, it's nice over here, I'll behave in this way. If you move over here and it's dreadful, we think, well, I'll just try and, and mix in. I'll, I'll, I'll allow my language to become like that. I'll allow the way that I relate to people to, uh, to be like that. No, for us, it's let's be salt. Let's be light. Let's let our light shine in the midst of a dark, crooked, uh, depraved generation. We want to show what Christ is like, like uh, not show necessarily in some areas what society is like. So blend in? Uh -uh, don't think so. Uh, second possibility is this. It could be, wives submit to your husbands, could be, wives be thoughtful and considerate to your husbands. Wives act in love towards your husbands. Or just to put it briefly, wives be nice. Um, now hopefully... <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you are <laughs> um, but what the question we're specifically asking here is does that piece of the puzzle does that suggested interpretation to the word submit actually fit in this text so do be nice but does, does that interpret correctly what it means to submit um, the problem we arise with interpreting it in that word is it can lead to some very odd uh, understanding, very odd understanding of other verses which use the same word but in a slightly different context. So take, for example, uh, Luke 10. Luke 10, 17. Uh, Jesus has, has sent out 72 of his followers uh, to go two by two into the villages that he's about to travel into. And so he gives them authority to go and pray for the sick and see them healed. The 72, it says here in verse 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus goes on to say um, in verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. They come back, they've got some stories to tell, and so they, uh, they launch into that when they see Jesus next. Now read into that the translation, Be nice, be thoughtful and considerate. It would it would mean that the disciples were saying, Lord, even the demons are thoughtful and considerate and loving towards us and really, really nice. I don't know about you, but I'm also spotting a slight mismatch there. I don't think that's quite um, what the 
disciples were trying to get across. And also there are other places in in different contexts uh, where the same word is used. So, for example, Romans 13 is where Paul is giving directions there. He says in Romans 13, verse 1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Um, And that seems to be talking about uh, recognising an authority that God has put in place rather than just a matter of being, uh, being nice and kind uh, to ruling authorities. That is still good to do, to be nice, to be kind, to be thoughtful, to be considerate, to act in love towards, but it's not quite uh, a piece of the puzzle that's fitting here. So, thirdly, rather than blending in or being nice, submission is about recognising an authority that God has put in place. Like I say, that word is perhaps not everybody's uh, favourite word, And that's probably because we see around us in society so many bad examples of authority. So hitting the the headlines day after day are are members of parliaments, those who are in a position of authority, a position of ruling, making decisions and leading and governing and so on, but misusing that in some instances to uh, claim expenses that they shouldn't do. We can see examples of authority where uh, advantages are taken, liberties are, are taken, things are got away with that really shouldn't be got away with. It's not right. And so we can take that, or we can take our own personal examples of perhaps uh, being at school and overbearing teachers, or in family life, the sort of environment that we grew up with, perhaps with Uh, very overbearing uh, parents, very critical, very ready to kind of discourage us and uh, and put us down. Hopefully that's not the case for many, but it can be. And so our experiences of authority can give us a problem then when we come to Scripture to see examples where we are instructed to, uh, to submit. Thankfully, however, God himself has given us a perfect example of Submission, a perfect example of uh, being subject to that the Son exhibited to the Father. So if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 28. It says there, When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who puts all things in in subjection under him that God may be all in all. There's a lot of things going on there. A lot of times the word subjected to is used. But it says this, the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in in subjection under him. So God the Father is putting everything kind of under Jesus' authority, but Jesus himself is under the Father's authority. That is the gist there. And we see amazing examples of that when Jesus walked on the earth, when he was conducting his his earthly ministry. So in John 5 and verse 18, uh, John there, uh, Jesus rather, has healed someone on the Sabbath. And that was a big no-no uh, for the Pharisees, for the religious, religious rulers of the time. And so they question him about it. And Jesus responds here in chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. 
And this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. First of all, get that. They were angry with Jesus because he was making himself equal with God. He was telling them the truth, that he, the Son, was equal with the Father. Now look what Jesus goes on to say. So Jesus said to them in verse 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So we're starting to build up a picture here of what submission to godly authority means. Jesus, the Son, was submitted to the Father by both being equal to him and yet choosing to do uh, what the Father wanted him to do. We were singing earlier about Jesus choosing to go to the cross, making a choice. He was free to choose. He chose to be obedient to his Father, knowing that he was from God, knowing that he had equal status with God the Father. And so bring that into this discussion here and we see this matter of submission to authority is a matter of equality. So many voices in our society today will uh, whisper to us, you know, downplay differences between men and women, downplay things in scripture that seem to highlight that, and other voices will say, women, you're inferior to men. Or other voices will say, men, you're better than women, you're superior to women. We have, as God's people, to tune out of whatever those voices might be saying and tune in to what the Bible is saying. God the Son, God the Father, in a wonderful relationship together, in a partnership together with equality and Jesus choosing, not being coerced, but voluntarily choosing to uh, follow his Father. So there isn't competition, it's not fighting, the Son is not reluctant, and the Father is not uncaring. So when Paul is, is looking at this instruction, he's saying it's fitting in the Lord. It's not a matter of one party being inferior to another, because Jesus was not inferior. Jesus took initiative. Jesus was bold and courageous. So it's not a matter of inferiority. It's not a matter of a wife being a husband's slave. It's not, it's not about following your husband into sin. Don't follow your husband into sin. Don't follow him in a sense regardless of the consequences to, to health or your relationship with God. Submission does not mean those things. It doesn't put you um, kind of under your husband in that way of like being a menial slave. Rather, to submit, we've said it does, it's not about blending in, it's not about being nice. I think it's about helping your husband to lead. Helping him to lead. Not being inferior to, not following him blithely into, into sin, but rather helping him to lead. Then very much uh, the nature of the help that you give to your husband will very much depend on the nature of your husband. On his, on his character, on his qualities, on his gifts, on his abilities. Carolyn Mahaney, writing on this subject uh, in a chapter of a book called Feminine Appeal, uh, gives a couple of examples of what she describes as beautiful submission. She gives the example of Catherine Luther, uh, who was married to the church reformer Martin 
Luther. She writes this about Catherine as an example of her helping her husband to lead. She was not bashful in her communication with her husband. Although respectful, she pointedly and sometimes humorously furnished him with counsel. On one occasion, when Martin was extremely depressed and indifferent to encouragement, Catherine donned, uh, put on, mourning attire. Her husband asked, Catherine, why are you dressed in mourning black? Someone has died, she replied. Died, said Luther. I've not heard of anyone dying. Whoever can have died? It seems, his wife replied, that God must have died. So by her clever confrontation, Catherine exhorted her husband to repent from his sin and renew her trust in God. She was helping him at that point to lead. She was helping him uh, to, to see where things really were at and to, and, to lead, and to lead well. So there, Catherine is his helpful, equal partner, helping him to lead into what God has for them both. Um, how do we apply this into our own uh, marriages and so on? Big crunch times, I suppose, can come when there are big decisions to make. And sometimes that can be the point at which stuff like this um, really starts to, to, starts to show up. So perhaps you're facing a big decision as a couple, if you're married, or preparing for marriage, and you've both talked around it for some time, both shared thoughts and ideas, um, you've both been free to do that, you've been talking, you've been listening. Then it comes to the point of actually deciding, how are we going to lead on from this? What are we going to do about it? And if your faith rises for this matter of submitting to your husbands, how about experimenting along these lines? I suggest that the response to your husband, if that's what you think is best, I'm prepared to follow you, that's what you think is best, I am prepared to follow you, will do more for your marriage than bringing uh, criticisms or trying to uh, be in competition with him in making decisions. If that's meant genuinely, so that your husband knows that you won't pounce on him if he makes a mistake, like in your face, husband, I knew you were going to get it wrong. Um, <laughs> if you can kind of avoid... Um, Avoid that kind of sentiment. But no, you feel faith in your heart to genuinely respond in that way. Genuinely, your desire is, rather than criticism, to say, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you think is best. Having discussed the matter thoroughly, I think that will do more uh, for your husband than, uh, than endless arguments, if, if it were to get to that. Another obvious question arises at this point. We've said that Submission involves helping your husband to lead. We've said that the nature of the help that you provide him with will depend very much on the nature of your husband, on this guy. Therefore, what if, you might be thinking, what if my husband is an absolute tyrant? Or, just what if my husband's really lazy? That is why Paul doesn't just address wives at this point. He goes on to talk to husbands. This is not a one-sided arrangement. This is not a totalitarian regime where wives are given instructions, submit to your husbands. Husbands are given free reign to do absolutely what they want, selfishly, to always prefer their own needs. No, it's not one-sided. 
both husbands and wives are given instructions. Now the instruction that husbands are given is this. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So we've seen from the preceding instruction that there is a sense in which men have an authority or a husband has an authority or a, a, a God-given place to lead his wife. How is he to do that? How are you to do that, men? It's by this. It's by loving your wives. How is your leadership to be characterised characterised by, by love? Now, with the previous example, we looked at these kind of three jigsaw puzzle pieces and we, we looked at the ones we didn't, which didn't quite fit. We could almost do the same with this word here, love your wives, by saying, what is love? Well, it's not just physical affection. If you've been in a relationship for any length of time, you'll probably know there are times when a hug doesn't fix a problem the way you'd like it to. Uh, There's time to actually talk about stuff. That's not just the only solution. Nor, uh, having said that, physical affection is good, so it's not excluded from what love is. Certainly a part of it, but not exclusively. Also, it's not just loving loving words. It's not just kind words. Having a conversation about something and again just saying I love you is good I think we've probably all agreed on that Um, but that is also not solely what this is about as a Christian uh, marriage counsellor called Gary Chapman uh, who's written a few books I think he's written a book called uh, The Five Love Languages he's trying to help married couples to communicate well together he describes a situation where he was on a flight and he was off to some conference perhaps looking forward to just resting for the duration of that journey. He sat, sits next to a guy who just happens to ask him what he does for a living. And this guy says, Ah, I've been waiting to talk to you. Um, I've been married and divorced three times. Each time it started off great. It was fantastic. But then after time, it just seemed like the sparkle fizzed out and the relationship went sour big time. So, so how is it that marriage can work? And so he started to ask around a few more questions This guy was saying about one marriage in particular, you know, before we got married, it was amazing. I was always telling her that I loved her. I was always encouraging her. I was always saying how proud I was to be her husband. It was fantastic. She never complained about anything. We had a great relationship. We got married, and it continued like that for a little while, but then I found that she just started to complain about things here and there. And I hadn't changed, but suddenly she changed. He starts to ask a few more questions. It would seem this guy... His concept of love was just saying nice things. It was just saying, I love you, I really like you, I'm really proud to be your husband. Not bad things. But perhaps she was aware of this massive uh, list of jobs around the house that just needed doing. And actually it was always her that needed to do it. So he would always gladly say, I love you, but perhaps not really lift a finger to do much. And so he discovers after a while, that relationship started to deteriorate. Her her frustrations grew. He was saying, I love you, but wasn't going beyond that to say, I love you, by other things. To to be saying, I love you, uh, in his actions. So laziness kind of crept in. And whatever he didn't want to do, he supposed that that was her responsibility. I don't want to do that. That's for her to sort out. So when it's talking about husbands, love your wives... It's not saying only husbands be physically affectionate. Husbands use loving words. 
It's saying husbands demonstrate time and time and time again Christ-like actions that demonstrate love. So love is not what you give to get what you want. It is what you give to bless the one you love. That is what we've been looking at here in Colossians 3, in the verses earlier. It says in verse uh, verse 14, Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's been talking about compassion. Paul has been talking about kindness, been talking about humility, meekness, being patient, bearing with one another, forgiving each other as, uh, as complaints may take place. Above all of that, put on love. It's, been, it's, talking, about, it's talking about actions. It's, this is the very opposite of putting our own interests first as a husband. So Jesus, Jesus in his love for us, is not just telling us about a feeling he has towards us. Jesus' love for us is an unshakable commitment that led him to action. And that action involved personal sacrifice. Jesus came to earth to demonstrate his love for us. As he was living, as he was operating in his ministry, he was demonstrating love. As he went to the cross, he was demonstrating love. As he was restoring a disciple like Peter who had denied him three times, he was demonstrating his love. We see amazing examples of his leadership and his love in someone like Mark 10, verse 32. Time and time again, Jesus had predicted his own death. He predicted that he would go to Jerusalem and the rulers there, the, the religious authorities would spit on him, would hit him, would mock him, would subject him to a false trial and would crucify him. He knew that that huge personal sacrifice was coming. Now, how do you expect him to be leading in the knowledge of what was to come? Mark 10, verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. You see Jesus leading. You see Jesus demonstrating love. What happens when a crisis turns up? What happens when there's a massive challenge? What happens when Jesus knows he's giving away his own life? What happens when Jesus knows there's a sacrifice to be made? Jesus leads into that situation. You don't find Jesus at the back of the crowd. You don't find Jesus uh, kind of seeking self-pity. You don't seeking uh, kind of self-pitying sympathy. You find Jesus leading. And so it's interesting that when we were looking at the first instruction for wives, we said actually Jesus is the best example of submission to godly authority. Jesus is also the best example for men seeking to lead in their marriages, seeking to bless their wives, seeking to lead into difficult circumstances, seeking to um, put someone else's interests first rather than his own, just giving up, giving up his own interests, becoming a servant. So therefore, being a husband does mean leading. 
means leading courageously. It means sacrificing our own interests. It is encapsulated in another example given by a guy called Wayne Grudem. Um, Wayne Grudem is, a, is an American uh, theologian who incidentally has done a lot to uh, encourage a biblical perspective on the things that we're looking into uh, today. Now, he gives us an example in his relationship. The, the problem that had developed was this, that his wife Margaret uh, was suffering increased pain and that that pain was aggravated by uh, cold temperature and by humidity. Uh, Wayne was working at um, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and where he'd been for 20 years. just so happened that the climate there was cold and humid, exactly the thing that aggravated his wife's condition. just so happened then that they go and visit Arizona, which is dry and hot, and immediately his wife Margaret... Uh, felt her health much improved. And he said to his wife, Margaret, I'd be happy to move there, but there's no job for me. I'm trained to do only one thing, and that's to teach at a theological seminary. Just then so happens that a seminary in Phoenix, Arizona, offered him a job. And in his daily readings, he came to Ephesians 5:28. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Wayne says, I thought... The Bible says I'm supposed to love my wife as my own body, so shouldn't I move for Margaret's health? And I became convinced that we should move. The problem was, Margaret didn't want to move because she knew that God had given me a ministry at Trinity, at this particular location where they had been for 20 years. And she didn't think that her physical illness was a reason for for giving that up. And so, as a couple, they were at an impasse. Not exactly at loggerheads, but they'd been talking day after day for a few weeks until finally one day Margaret said this, Wayne, I've decided that I'm going to depend on you to make the decision. At that moment, it felt so right. We moved, God has given much blessing, and Margaret feels significantly better. That is an example of a guy leading and a wife submitting a guy seeking to bless his wife in the leadership that he gives. So sometimes in our minds, when we're thinking about authority and submission, we can be thinking of conflict. We can be thinking of one person has like the other in a wrestling hold, and the other person has to kind of tap and say, mercy, submit. In the playground at school, we used to play that game called mercy, where you you kind of interweave your fingers with another person, and the aim is to kind of bend the other person's fingers around until they have to say mercy, because it hurts so much. And so we can think, submission involves that. (laughs) Giving in to someone else, giving in to someone else who's being harsh. Giving in to someone else who's being overbearing. No, submitting to godly authority can look as beautiful as this situation here. A husband seeking to bless his wife. It can involve other things, big decisions, but daily things as well. So, husbands, what about this? I don't know what you're like in this, but day to day, taking out rubbish when it's raining, changing nappies when it really smells, getting up in the night to put your wife's mind at rest, cooking her a meal for a change, getting those shelves put up even though the football's on, and a thousand other things that make it abundantly clear you love your wife. 
a thousand other things that make it abundantly clear that being a husband for you, yeah, means leading, but it means loving, it means serving, it means putting someone else's interests first, it means listening rather than jumping to a strident opinion. Unfortunately, where genuine love is lacking, harsh words and harsh behaviour can all too easily become commonplace. So it says to husbands, love your wives. That's the positive thing. Love your wives. He also goes on to say the negative instruction, do not be harsh with them. So when we do put our own interests first, we can be putting unrealistic expectations onto our wives. A husband can become disappointed when these expectations aren't met, but those expectations kind of stem from him seeing um, everything that he doesn't want to do as his wife's responsibility. And so if everything that he doesn't want to do himself isn't done to the lazy standards he has, disappointment sets in. This can quickly lead to harsh words where it's all too easy, kind of ironically, for us to destroy the closest and dearest relationship we have. It's possible that a husband can find himself speaking to his wife in a way he wouldn't actually dream of speaking to his best friend or to a work colleague. And so you've got somewhere like James, James chapter 3, where he's talking there about the tongue being a restless evil. He says in James 3, verse 9 and 10, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? But sometimes we can get into these very odd situations. What this teaches us here is there's There's no divide in God's mind between what is spiritual and what is important to give our attention to and kind of almost just uh, secular things that uh, we can just blend in and do what we want with. Uh, So we can give our attention to uh, to praising God and our, our daily devotions and our relationship with Him whilst actually then just being harsh to someone we dearly love, saying harsh words that then put a relationship on tenterhooks. So for husbands, if Christ is the Lord of your life, this will be evident in how you love and serve and lead your wife. Wives, with Christ as your Lord, this will be evident in how you submit, how you seek to help him become more and more of a godly man and a godly leader as is fitting in the Lord. As we've already said, Voices in our society today will not so much whisper as shout the opposite. It will shout things like marriage is mundane. It will shout things like marriage. It's, it's, like a, it's like a dusty relic that you just go and put in the attic. And what we might need to do is go up to the attic, take dusty relic, and take it and, go, and get it valued and realise, no, this is a treasure. This is something. This is something to be maintained. This is something to be, uh, to be kind of like uh, polished, to be given prime place. A beautiful thing that God has done. The reason, as we said earlier, that this 
whole area can produce uh, controversy is also that there are those voices that whisper, women, you're inferior. And we want to do our best to set those voices aside and demonstrate something different. Voices that say, men, you're better than women, you're superior. We want to do our best to take those voices and totally disregard them. There are dark spiritual forces that want to undermine something that God has made, God has instituted, God has designed, and God has designed it to be beautiful. So it's not a matter of conflict and confusion, a matter of peace, a matter of harmony, a matter of two people serving God with togetherness, with the same purpose, with the same zeal, with the same drive, seeking to honour our Lord, tuning out those voices and tuning into God's voice. That we might witness to the world. Yeah, we're not just blending in with the way things are done. We're giving a demonstration. We're witnessing with not just our words, but with our actions. This is what it means. This is what it means for Jesus to be Lord. This is what it means to follow God in our relationships with one another, our relationships in the church. But that boils down to just the personal significant relationships like marriage. We want to do this in a godly way, in a humble way, seeking what the Word says, finding out what is beautiful about God's design and following Him.